Hello, and welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a breakdown of every episode of our favorite medical drama TV series. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 1, Episode 5, which is titled Into That Good Night. Uh, the episode aired on Thursday, October 13th, 1994. Lauren, what was going on at that time period, 25 years ago? Well... I'll Make Love to You by Boys to Men is still reigning supreme. Of course. I think I'll be shocked when this finally gets off the charts. Pulp Fiction is up and coming, but this week we have the top movie is The Specialist with Sylvester Stallone. Not one I'm familiar with, but the poster looks like a general run-of-the-mill early 90s action flick. And then for you gamers out there, Castlevania Bloodlines comes out around this time for Sega Genesis. Not one I got to play, but I know we've probably got someone out there who's played a Castlevania game who might appreciate this. Yeah, it was never my particular cup of tea, Metroidvania type games or... Mine either. I was too young, so... We were a Nintendo family, so Sega Genesis was not nowhere to be found in my house. We had a Genesis, but it was a lot of Sonic because that was more age-appropriate. Though my mom did kick my butt at Mortal Kombat a lot. You might be interested in an upcoming popular court then... For, mm. for some, some sanic you can plug that at the end daniel all right but moving into the episode uh, as mentioned before we're on season one episode five this episode was directed by charles Hayde and written by robert nathan uh charles Hayde, i looked a little bit into his stuff he's not like a really like recognizable name he does more like tv stuff like i saw he's directed he directed eight episodes of this series over the course of 14 seasons so it comes up every now and then and he also did a lot of TV, like starting in the 60s, and he just, he just did a shit ton of TV. The only one I really like recognize that stood out so much was like some NCIS stuff in the last couple decades, because that show's been on forever already, and uh, NYPD Blue was the other one I saw he did a lot of episodes on. All right, so getting into the episode proper, we open up for the now fifth consecutive time with Sleeping Doctors. It's the fun never stops with sleeping doctors, but this time is a little bit different. It's not an individual doctor laying in the same room that we've seen in the last four episodes. It's Doug and Carter sleeping in the doctor's lounge while some while another random no name cast member just is just sort of there and eating and just doing his thing or researching or something like that. But Carol comes in to wake up, Doug and Carter. It's four in the afternoon. Uh we do have some timestamps throughout this episode. So we're at four PM. And I just, I appreciated this part because Doug hauls his ass out of the break room, is going to the nurse's station, getting his charts, and is just like, oh, good morning, so-and-so. And Susan is there, and she's working on a chart, and she just goes, it's four in the afternoon, Doug. <laughs> and just like, like, get it together, man. Come on. I like how she teases him. She teases him saying that he's uh, he's as old as Ryan Sandberg when he retired, and uh, what was it? Mozart when he died. So he's... Yeah. Doug Teasing goes, I'm forgetting. as old as Mozart when he died. Ryan Sandberg, legendary Cubs player. I am totally spacing on what position he played Second base. right now. Second base. Cool. I know he's still around the league in some capacity. Last I heard, he was doing something with the Phillies. Yeah, and then Mark comes up and he's like, oh, I missed another call from Jennifer, you know. She left a message but said I need to go see her because she won't tell me what's going on over the phone. And Susan goes, tell Mark to go see his wife. And Doug goes, we can survive without you. And then Doug picks up the phone, talks to Jennifer, and is like, okay, get out, Mark. Go. 
and it really right here it's set up to I thought Doug was kind of going to be the central part of this episode and that he was going to be kind of the lead on everything turns out I was wrong but in this moment that's kind of how it looked like it was framed because immediately after that we go into a trauma he's kind of like the backseat in charge if they're like the backseat driver if that makes sense like he right he doesn't take front and center as much as this leads you to believe but his story arc and kind of everything is kind of the framework that this whole episode is built on yeah so as lauren mentioned there was uh we have a trauma we have two people coming in a woman who was hit by a car she is seven months pregnant and uh the person who stole a car and then hit this poor woman pregnant woman is starting to go into labor uh they find out it's about 28 weeks, which is a bit soon, and just about when our resident co-host, Lauren, was... I was a C-section baby. My mom went into the hospital for me on her birthday. They managed to postpone labor for two weeks, and what? then they, they were like, she's trying to come out feet first. She's an idiot. We need to get her out now. And I came out with underdeveloped lungs, spent my first chunk of time in an incubator because my lungs were underdeveloped are you this baby i might be this baby wow oh shit but i was so small that my dad could like have his hands straight out and most of my body would fit in his hand yeah so obviously with that frame of reference you can understand why doug and susan are are very worried and kind of low-key freaking out about this baby trying to postpone labor if they can and of course ob is nowhere to be found yeah, the correct department is no is never anywhere to be found when, when you need them. them. You need cardiology, they're fucking off. You need an extra nurse, they're having a conference somewhere. You need stuff, just different stuff like that. Yeah, and we have another bang bang. How many is that now? Uh, that would be three to one in favor of the uh, bang or smash intro. Three to one, awesome. We're heavy on the bangs in these early episodes. Bang bang. Usually because it's a Green Day song. Yes. <laughs> my voice. Yeah. But after the opening credits, we get our first uh, audio interaction that we have for you folks today. It's We have Mark and Jen walking along what we've determined to be uh, North Avenue Beach, even though we have some some qualms. About... We'll get into after. Yeah, but uh, for right now, please enjoy this interaction. And this is 5.30 p.m. is the timestamp here. Yes. It's incredible. It's terrific. I still can't believe it. Why didn't you tell me on the phone? It's in Milwaukee. It's only two hours away. In the federal clerkship, Mark, I never dreamed I had a chance. I thought you wanted to be a state's attorney. I haven't made an offer. I mean, the judge had a clerk. The guy bagged out at the last minute. That's why I'm getting this. It's a great break for you. Mm. You deserve it. You. you deserve it. There's lots of hospitals in Milwaukee. Yeah, I don't know about chief residence, but um, we could live here and you can take the train. Four hours a day on a train. When am I going to have time to sleep? I'll never get to see Rachel. I'll make some phone calls. See what they got up there. made a lot of compromises Mark. small thing before we talk about that the background noise 
we just counted there are three times where like a freighter or like a container boat like a foghorn yeah like a foghorn goes off and that beach is never populated with anywhere remotely close to anything like that <laughs> like it's only ever speedboats or sailboats or the pleasure cruisers yeah or some yeah some like the short short term or like short distance things from like navy pier or something like that so what the fuck is up with it just bugged me a lot that's it's a nitpick i know but oh you want to talk nitpicks i have a nitpick here it has nothing to do with the boat noises because i i don't know shit about boats but (laughs) mark what the fuck man would it kill you to wear a belt he's wearing the most like khaki dad fucking (laughs) pants they even have the little like extra button where you pull it across, like so you know they're extra dressy and extra white. And like, he, really, you couldn't find a belt, like just. And he's got the shirt tucked into. Oh, this man, the pants on this man. Just put on a belt, man. It's not that you're a doctor, for Christ's sake. I know you only make you know twenty three thousand dollars or whatever the hell. It's nineteen ninety four. Five. Go to Kmart. Buy a belt. All right, I'm done. Can I ask a question? Yes. As someone who just doesn't wear belts, why is the belt important? Well, okay, look, it, like, I'm square white dude, so clearly not the authority on uh, fashion here, but, like, come on, man. It's, like, simple 101 shit. If you're going to tuck the shirt in, wear a belt. That's just, I mean, yeah. if, unless you're wearing sweatpants, which begs the question, why are you tucking a shirt into sweatpants? But if you're tucking the shirt in, wear a belt. If not, no belt. No belt required. If you're going to freestyle it with the belt, untuck the shirt. Like, is this casual or is not? What the fuck are we doing here, Green? You're better than this. It just, it just sort of, the belt would just sort of tie the, tie the whole look together. It took me out for seriously, like, five minutes after this. I was, but because we see him again as he's coming back and he's talking to Susan about it. We, they're, like, framing it perfectly right over his, like, khaki dick. And we have to, like, look at this <laughs> beltless motherfucker. Like, it just, it pulled me out completely. I just, I, need, I needed to get that out. I feel better. Daniel. Yes. We need to have you watch episodes at five in the morning more often. This is glorious. <laughs> yes, I want I want that on record. I watched this episode at five in the morning. A, because I just started a new job and I have less time than I have previously. Second, my cat is an asshole and bit me on the foot. And so I was awake at five in the morning. So you're welcome. Such dedication to our craft. We appreciate you. I just enjoy you getting into the weeds so much about this fucking belt. Like, I didn't even notice it, but here you go. And it bothered me noises, a lot. So. This is an episode that's very light on the Oh Hey, It's That Guys. So I have to look out for what I what I can look out for. And on this episode, I took issue with the man's belt or lack thereof. All right. So I'm going to pull us back into to on topic here. Mark is trying so hard to at least pretend to be happy for her. But you can see the gears in his head turning and him just being like, shit, I don't want to leave. I mean, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, he's not trying that hard. Like, he's he's already like, <laughs> well, you could just take the train. Like, OK, man. I do love the I've made a lot of compromises, Mark. Oh, yeah. And this is a perfect example here, too, of where, like, we have not seen her perspective th- right. as, as starkly as we see it here. Like, she's got a point. Like. You know, she just passed the bar. Her career is starting. He's obviously, you know, a little bit more established. So you can imagine she's probably been there for him through, you know, medical school and passing his licensing exams for all of that. Like, she's probably been on the other side of this equation and she has made all those sacrifices, all while 
ostensibly being pregnant and having a small child. Like I was just about to say, like, and at some point during that, she would have had to carry Rachel and put something on hold for that. Yeah, I think she's fully within her rights to expect that it's her turn to have something for herself and it's his turn to, you know, make some compromises and maybe make some sacrifices. And and he's kind of like half in, half out about it. Like, he's just sort of like, yeah, well, that's cool. I mean, I get it. If I lived in Chicago, I wouldn't want to move to Milwaukee either, but, you know. Yeah, it's not all that bad of a city from what I've been there. I've only been there a couple times. But I do think it's a little bit of a dick move on Jen's part to just take the job necessarily without consulting him. Like, at least not communicating that that was something that she was even looking into. Because Mark just seems completely blindsided by it. Well, and I'm wondering if maybe she does mean I got the offer and not I took the job. She makes it seem very much like she got the job. Okay, I just wasn't sure, like, because I could say I got the job and that might mean I got the offer. Yeah, I could I could see it going either way. Like, they don't really spell it out. Either way, he had no idea that this was on the table. Last we heard, she was interviewing in Detroit. Yeah, so after them, we go back to the trauma of our lovely pregnant ladies. Contractions are not stopping. Oh, 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 I almost forgot to mention. Oh. the Miss Niemeyer. Yeah, Miss Niemeyer, who is uncredited in the episode, but is actually somebody that... At least some of our audience is probably familiar with, and if they might not be familiar with her face necessarily, but they are familiar with her voice. The actress's name is Brenda Strong, and she's most most notable for being the voice of like the narrator slash dead person, like the I guess the I don't know main character is the wrong wrong word, but na- I guess narrator is the most consistent role on uh, Desperate Housewives, which was oh yeah okay. Yeah, I, I was watched like, that like eight years ago. Yeah, I've, I've maybe seen one or two episodes by accident. I don't know. Like, it's obvi- I'm obviously not the audience, but something about her face when I looked at her face, I was like, I know that person. I don't know where from or, you know, how, and maybe I'm making this up. And like, but no, I looked it up and she, but she, like I said, she's not credited in this episode. You have to, if you go on IMDb, you have to scroll all the way down to the bottom. She's uncredited for some reason. Gotcha. Hmm. Well, regardless. Miss Niemeyer's contractions are not stopping. Yeah, so Doug is kind of freaking out, like, more high-key now, because he's really worried about the baby's lungs, as, you know, you would with a 28-week baby versus, you know, a healthy full-term. I think it's about 36 weeks as yeah, normal. Yeah, 36 to 40. Okay. Obviously, I've never been pregnant, so clearly I know, no, I know nothing about any of this. Anyway, so her water breaks, and oh shit, there is no stopping this train now. And then we cut over to Benton talking to the woman who hit Miss Niemeyer. Her last name is Suarez, and she's identified as a gangbanger. And Benton just says, you hit a pregnant woman. We're not too happy about that, but we have to take care of you. Like, he's just straight up being like, this is bullshit. You're bullshit. I don't want to be doing this, but I'm doing this. And I feel like that's the first time we get that, because we get that. That hits a lot bigger plot points later in this series like i know especially mark one of his big payoff episodes in like season six or season seven yeah season seven revolves around him letting a criminal die oh yeah oh god i yeah, forgot the, about that oh that's so awful yeah the, the guy that came after all the all the orphanages because mark took away his kid because the kid was being abused but yeah that's like the most memorable one i can think of but like there's plenty of other times where Especially when Kovach gets involved, 
Aww. later in the later in the series. Luca. He's he's sort of like the white knight of this whole trope. Like mm-hmm. he does this a lot where he just like has the utmost disdain for folks who have committed crimes or like jail transferees or something like that. Like you just made me so happy about how much further we have to go. There are so many great characters we're going to get to talk <laughs> about on this show. Oh yeah, that's like maybe we're now this is the fifth episode we're doing now and that's the first time we've men- even mentioned Kovach, really. I'm mm. very much looking forward to him. My He's sweet, one of my favorites. My sweet boy. And then after that you kind of have a hard pivot into Carter and Doug, which is a pairing you don't see a whole lot of, but I really do enjoy when they are on screen together and they have this conversation. They have some golden moments in this episode. I just have to say that real quick. Can I talk to you for a sec? Yeah, sure. If you can keep me away. If a, uh, if a patient has like a burning sensation, does he necessarily have a... a sexually transmitted disease? Yeah, he probably does. You have to do a culture. You ever do that? No. No. Okay. First you gotta do a chlamydia prep, and then you have to do a gram stain. Gonorrhea. Stick this bad boy in about a quarter of an inch, and then you spin it around about ten times. Ten times? Mm-hmm. Who's a lucky girl? Uh, 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 please. Did go with the rash. Mm-hmm. Old hospital saying, Carter, don't dip your pen in company ink. Oh, hey, I hope you use a condom. Oh, boy. Oh, poor Carter. I love that uh, I love that Doug sees through him right away and immediately starts to fuck with him. Like, you're gonna stick this thing all the way up there and spin it around ten times, like just you know. Doug's probably been on the other side of that conversation a time or two, so it's only fair oh, that, yeah. only fair oh, that he yeah. gets to uh to haze the new guy. And through it you can't really obviously it doesn't really come across too much in the audio, but Carter just looks fucking petrified throughout the entire time just, that Doug is talking about the uh procedure to get the sample that you need for the actual tests. Just ten times. Okay. <laughs> Cause I'm gonna guess Carter's never had to stick anything up his dick before. Nah, probably not. He's still sweet baby Carter face. We don't, say, we don't he know. seems he's se- th- that middle part seems to suggest a sheltered life up to this point. So then we go over to um Benton is talking with the cop who's come in to kind of keep an eye on Suarez and the cop is like can we have her like so what if she dies it's not our problem and Benton just says I'm liable you're not like this is literally my job and if I am not doing my job I am in big trouble and this whole time he's munching away on this giant box of Dunkin Donuts and I just had to wonder did Dunkin pay for this placement you have to imagine that there's some sponsorship or something like that just it's just like it is with most tv series you're gonna have like specifically branded products in the thing but it's like it's front and center i mean yeah that's how it is sometimes it it makes sense that there would be a box of donuts at a at a nurse's station right but i just i don't remember it being it's not something they did very often like they didn't they didn't do they're not as egregious as some other shows right and i don't remember them really being brand specific donuts later on in the show that's true that's, yeah, that's more. It's just sort of like a general like coffee club with donuts and an unmarked box. I think I think that more comes in once you get like the convenience store across the street. Yeah. Was Dunkin' Donuts even like a fully national brand at that point? Like, were they big in Chicago land area? I mean, they're huge in Chicago now. Right, but like, yeah, there's twenty five like, years ago, a ton of them. And, I mean, they started obviously, I think, in New England, but like, 
I, I mean, I suppose it's possible they could have been fully national by then, but it just seemed like an odd. I associate them so much more with Boston than Chicago, so it was just kind of an odd fit. I mean, they were acquired by Baskin Robbins Holding Company in 1990. Well, so, so that, that kind of checks four out. Four years later. Who knows? All I know is that they don't have very good donuts anyway. But after that, we have our main storyline of the episode really kick in. And the really the storyline that's the biggest pulls on the heartstrings. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and... Uh, I just, you got, just it. got it. <laughs> I I need to issue a quick amendment here. My mother corrected me because we we're talking. I was thirty two weeks, not twenty eight. Mm. So not as bad, but still not great. Still, yeah. So we have this lovely, warm gentleman called, named Mr. Gasner, uh, who just gives a fantastic performance throughout the entire episode. We'll have a couple of clips from him a little later on. Uh, some ones that really kind of punch you in in the feels. But for right now, he's just coming into the ER. Uh, he's been having heart troubles. He's overall in heart failure, but like he already knew that. Um, he's on the. He's waiting for a transplant for a chronic heart failure condition. And he was in the city for a builders conference. He was like, "Yeah, it was probably stupid of me to travel, but I couldn't pass this up." And he just repeatedly keeps fainting and coming back and fainting and coming back. And we like, "Oh, did I pass out again?" Yeah, like, they shock him once, and, like, he just immediately is conscious and, like, whoa, what the fuck? So, yeah, we he goes off to the trauma room with Mark, and then we we go into Doug's little B-plot for the episode, which we have a mother and daughter. Uh, the daughter is having an asthma attack and can't breathe. The kid's name is Sandy, and the mom just is really throwing off these really weird vibes. I find out later that's nothing, like, malicious or anything like that, but, like, it's very, like showing the realities of the american healthcare system right even 25 years ago right and she just looks very uncomfortable with what doug's telling her like and at the time we're not sure if it's like okay are you just not understanding this or you just like she doesn't really speak up about what's going on but she just kind of nods to whatever he says and we like lizzie said we find out later what the deal is with that but at the time we're like okay what's going on with mom yeah and then after that we have the pregnant lady's husband shows up uh, sort of bursts in the room, just sort of ignores everyone's personal space. Yeah, in the trauma room where Mark and Carol are. Yeah, and Jerry is lovely enough to take him upstairs. It's like, you got a baby, congratulations. Let's go see it. <laughs> I love Jerry. He's such a lovely human being. Team Jerry. And then we stay there with Mr. with Mr. Gasner and Mark, and you sort of really get the whole, like, He's sort of coming to terms with his own inevitable demise because he always he's like asking, like, am I going to make it tonight? And like everyone just sort of freezes and they just says, I ask that every time. And he keeps passing out. He passes out twice on camera three and three times overall. They said they found him in cardiac arrest in the field uh, when the EMTs brought him in. And then we get our we get another time card. Uh, it says we're at 1145 p.m. Yeah, Ben and Mark are. Trying to figure out if even getting a heart tonight for this guy is feasible because they know without a heart transplant, he's going to die tonight. And they're trying to track down the radiologist, my favorite radiologist, to see about like getting an accurate scan on what this guy's heart situation really looks like. And 
they mention, oh, you know, if we can get them awake from Lake Forest, then maybe we can get them down here. Props to the writing team. Lake Forest is an actual Chicago suburb. Yeah, it's about an hour, depending on where you are in the city. So probably from downtown, you're looking about closer to an hour or so. But from where we are up on the north side, it's probably like 30 to 40 minutes, depending on traffic. Then we cut back to Sandy and her mom and Doug. And the mom gets a prescription for the daughter. The daughter has asthma and you know, needs meds, you got to keep that shit down on lock. Prednisone and an inhaler. Yeah, so some pretty simple stuff when it comes to asthma. And the mom is just, like, super, like, scared about getting the prescription. Like, again, she's just really heavily throwing off the vibe, like, something is fucked up here. Like, maybe, like, we don't know if maybe she's against medication or what it is, because she's still not really speaking up. And then from there, we go to the break room. Uh, we have Susan and Carol gossiping about Mark getting phone calls from from hospitals in Milwaukee, which props to Mark for working fast on that. Oh, yeah, he he stuck to his word. He made his phone calls. Then he looks at Benton, who is currently tying one-handed knots just for practice, and he's got headphones in, and Carter's like, oh, what are you listening to? Trying to make conversation, and Benton goes, Snoop Doggy Dog. Which, A, such an illustration of the time we're filming this in. And then, I, I don't remember who it is, somebody grabs the tape case from next to it. Because, yes, he's listening to a tape, a cassette tape, for those of you who may not have been around during this time. And it's actually a surgical walkthrough. <laughs> I love his deadpan delivery on that, too. Just Snoop Doggy Dog. Snoop Doggy Dog. <laughs> Just like, what the fuck do you think I'm listening to, asshole? <laughs> Yet, yet another example of Carter trying to make nice with Big Brother and getting shit on. Then we go back to Gasner and Mark. They're having a little heart-to-heart. Gasner, again, as Elizabeth mentioned, is starting to face his mortality and realize this might be the night he doesn't make it. And he just says, you got better things to do with it. Do them all. You don't know when you'll get the chance. And he's just like, this is really where that foot-in, foot-out attitude with Mark kind of shows is... He's trying to decide what he's going to do about Jennifer. He's not going home. He's really scared about this decision. And Mr. Gasner is just who he needed to see when this was happening. Because it really inspires him to kind of make the choices he needs to make and step up and be a better husband. Yeah, it's an, it's directly referencing his current predicament. But it's also like from us, from looking back at it in hindsight, it's an oddly prophetic statement from this guy, you know, to knowing what eventually, you know, happens to green. Like it's a, Mm. it's an oddly prophetic thought of just don't take anything for granted and make the most of your time, you know? So, and I mean, obviously this is referring strictly to just this episode. Obviously there's no way that they had any of that in their thought process at this point, but there's this there's that lingering shot of green right after Gasner says that line and it just like really hit me in a very sp- specific way when i watched it like it was just and again that's that's with the benefit of hindsight knowing how things turn out but it was just it's a cool thing to see in retrospect like you know they didn't have that in mind but it almost seems like they did there's one shot at the very end of the episode that i definitely had that same feeling about for sure we're just knowing what we know about mark yeah it just this episode punches really hard yeah and just this fucking guest actor did you do did you actually look up who this is i did his his name is alan rosenberg and he is a fairly prolific actor i guess you could say he's still 
still working. He's got credits um, up to present day in different things. Um, his kind of most famous role or what he's what's listed first on his IMDb is uh, Last Temptation of Christ, the um, Scorsese movie. He plays a character named Thomas in that movie. I have never seen that movie, so I couldn't tell you if that's a major role or not. Kind of one of my gaps that I want to fill in. But um, he's been in stuff, nothing that I'm super duper familiar with, but he kind of made the rounds of the like 90s to 2000s TV show circuit. Like he was on Murphy Brown. He was on ER, obviously. He was on LA Law. He was on NYPD Blue, like House. Like he just, he kind of hit them all. So this is kind of right in his wheelhouse. The like one episode show up, do a really good job, and then you never see him again type of thing. Oh, maybe that's where I recognized him from because I was a big House fan back in high school. I was too. And like, I'm sure if I went and saw the episode that he was in, I would remember him, but he didn't didn't strike a chord with me here like he wasn't somebody that I instantly recognized but he does a fantastic job here he just looked familiar to me and I couldn't place yeah it, so maybe he it does have a house. very familiar face that's for sure yeah but just overall like I fucking love this guy in this role he made me cry yeah he made me cry so I think that's I should start keeping a running <laughs> I should start keeping a running tally of how many times I've actually cried so. I think three times so far that sounds about right the death of the old woman yes. with her husband, Madam X singing. Yes. And this. And this. So we're three, three out of five so far for yeah. episodes. Damn this show. So Lizzie's keeping tally on how many times uh, the show makes them cry. I'm keeping tally on our intros and Lauren's keeping tally on how long it takes. I'll make love to you to fall out of the number one song. Everyone's yeah. got their right. Everyone's got their part to play. We've all got their thing. What am I going to do when it stops? You're going to get another song that I'm sure will dominate the charts for 80 years, just like every 90s song did. Fair. But yeah, moving on from there, we have Carter and Jerry. Again, (laughs) another pairing that I absolutely adore. Carter is asking about the results of his STI screening. And Jerry asks, you know, who's the patient? And Carter just very shyly says, Car. <laughs> don't tell t- anyone the results <laughs> yeah please don't tell anyone the results jerry and then after that we have ivan's back uh this time he's been shot in the foot who did it this time oh he did it to himself this time because he got a gun and it went off and he shot himself in the foot while he was showing it to another um shopkeeper yeah and we actually find out he blows a toe off and we actually find out confirmed that he is russian I like that they like not only did they are they dedicating so much time to this little side insignificant side character, but they're also showing the escalation of this guy's story as well. Like they're, you know, the first time he got shot in the shoulder and then the second time, you know, he gets shot in the leg and he's like, I'm going to get a gun. And then now he's got a gun, but he's shot himself accidentally. So he's clearly not somebody who should be handling a gun and you know and we'll we obviously know where it's going to go from here but it's just it's nice to see like they're kind of like laying it out for you beat by beat well it was also really funny because he also mentions to benton i think because benton's dealing with him again like what the hell man and he mentions he's like oh you know in in russia you have to buy a case of cognac to get a good doctor and here in america you can just walk in and ah bless america and it's just like oh oh sweetie So next we have a quick meeting with Steve Flint, the radiologist. We, I finally remembered to write down his name again. Kaysen. Kaysen? Kaysen. 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 Fuck, I can't 
I can't brain. Do you want to restart that? No, we can just edit out the part where I say fuck. It's fine. And then, <laughs> who is it? Mark? Yeah, Mark. That's the three of them? Yeah. And they're talking about, you know, what they're seeing on the heart scan, what the potential options are for Mr. Oh my God. Gasner. Gasner. I, I keep wanting to not call him Gasner. They're looking to see what the results are and what the options are for Mr. Gasner. And I'm just really excited that they gave Mr. Flint a bigger role than just making fun of Carter's sex life or being a foil to Benton. And I'm keeping count. This is one thing I'm keeping count of is how long until this guy goes away. Because he's a little gem that I enjoy seeing in each episode. And he's in four out of the five episodes so far. I know. He gets the most amount of screen time dedicated to a character who, in the grand scheme of things, is completely insignificant. Like, he's gone very quickly after this, and, like, he's been in almost every episode so far with, like, at least a speaking part. Like, he doesn't... It's not like we just see him in the background. Like, he gets a chance to talk in just about every appearance, and he'll be gone within a few episodes. So it's just, just funny. I love early seasons of shows. I also totally didn't realize that it was actually him because he was not wearing his glasses in this episode. Yeah, yeah, he's out of out of costume. Yeah, I was like, no, that's that's him. Lizzie was like, no, it's not. And then I did an IM, a smug IMDb search to prove that I was right, and I was right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so moving on from there, it is now 2 a.m., and Doug is now throwing stuff at Carter's butt like a ba- and using Carter's butt as a backboard. To throw things into a trash can, and it, it's like toilet paper rolls. Yeah. And Doug's just doing wheelies in a wheelchair, which there's so many things wrong with that. But apparently Carter lost some bet. We never exactly find out. And his suspenders are back, Daniel. He at least has proper pants accessorizing. Well, first of all, suspenders are never, never appropriate. Yes, they are. No, suspenders are awful, and they look particularly awful on Carter. What if you're doing a Doctor Who cosplay? That's between you and Jesus. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I just the, the less said about the man's suspenders the better I made my peace with it in the last episode he looks like a bad like Michael Douglas and Wall Street knockoff and that's all I'll say I love the suspenders yeah um and then after Doug is done being an idiot uh we get this again this whole episode is just full of Carter having great moments with people that he hasn't really had great moments with yet and I mean, I know Carter and Mark have had like one good moment, like from the very first episode when Carter was feeling sick. But, you know, I just love their dynamic and especially as it develops. And and then we get this. I, uh, I heard your wife got a job in Milwaukee. Yeah, she's uh, clerking for a federal judge. Yeah. That sounds exciting. It is. You gonna leave the hospital? I, I don't know. Thought you were off at midnight. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I am. I just, uh, I just thought I'd stick around. You ever have one like Mr. Gasner before, one that took so long? No. You look like hell, Carter. Yeah, I'm just waiting for uh, ben, Dr. Benton to leave. Mm-hmm. You need some sleep. Way to deflect onto Carter. <laughs> like, yeah. Let's let's not talk about my problems. You look like shit, Carter. Yeah. Like fuck my stuff. You're 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 the person who needs help here, man. 
And I just love that just because, like, I just love the character moments that Mark and Carter get through the next seven, eight seasons as we go along. And especially, where, as you know, where it's going when with Mark sort of passing the torch off to Carter in season, at the end of season eight before he goes off to Hawaii to die. <laughs> it's just, it's lovely to go back and actually dive in and dig, dig down and actually see every, and appreciate all these little moments that they have like this where it's like Carter's already like seems like he's really starting to care about Mark and he just I don't know I just love it I just love their whole thing I love them I love the show it's amazing yay that's why we're doing the show and from there we go over to Doug uh, with another adult patient which again we don't see him too much with those Uh, but he's telling an elderly woman that she's I believe she's fallen yeah, she's got, like, a hip injury or something. Yeah, and she's going to need x-rays, and this this poor sweet woman, who's very much elderly. Probably in her 70s, maybe 80s. Yeah, she just very sweetly says, oh, oh no, don't do x-rays, they'll, they'll hurt my baby. And says so she's six months along. And Doug goes, oh, I promise, you'll be shielded with lead, your baby will be fine. And then he goes over to Lydia with with the woman's chart and says here go take her up to x-ray but be careful she's very frail with her pregnancy and lydia's <laughs> face she's like okay what like, just like just... yeah wait what the fuck and i don't think we ever like actually follow up on this patient i think it's just a fun story beat nope i think it's just a little lighter like oh moment in the in the episode because Oh boy, we're starting to get, we're going to get into some heavy shit here. Now we're just about halfway through the episode, but. I'm totally going to throw off our flow here. But yeah, the actress who plays Lydia is one of my favorite people, like, in this series for as long as she's on here. Just, I always look forward to see what we're, like, just, just what Lydia's going to do. Because she always has such great reactions to everything. She doesn't necessarily have a lot of speaking in the show, but she just, she brings a lot of soul to the show. Yeah, it's competition between her and Halle, I think, for my favorite nurse. Like, like background nurse, like, oh, not Hathaway. Halle gets it this episode just with with Mr. Gasner later. Just, mm, melts my heart. And then moving on from there, before we revisit Mr. Gasner, we have a... We visit Susan and Dr. Dickhead, which actually, I pulled this audio because it's actually Dr. Dickhead being actually a human being for and- once. And for those who are not our regular listeners, Dr. Dickhead is psychologist Divsphetic. Yeah, sorry. I just, <laughs> yeah, I picked, Daniel started calling him that and I picked That's up on it. That's who he is. I mean, it's all you really need to know about him is that he's a dick. Yeah, but I really like this interaction between him and Susan. So let's give it a listen. You worry too much. Kaysen hates me. He's a cardiologist. He's on my review board. I'll need his recommendation. Why would you want it? The man loses so many patients, he gets endorsements from funeral homes. Dev. When I was your age, I worried about what every attending thought of me, too. Forget it. You're a good doctor. You're better than my ex, and I actually married her. Div, there are a lot of subjects that interest me, and believe me, your ex-wife tops my list. Mm. Oh, that's me. My knife-wielding psychotic must be up from his nap. Okay, first of all, if you have to start a sentence to your girlfriend with the phrase, when I was your age, she's too young for you, bro. Like, that's <laughs> not okay. 
Like, if you are having to give the when I was your age talk to your girlfriend, that's a problem. Also, he's still a dick. I'm only going to disagree with that because I know a few people who are in relationships like that, and it's actually the most healthy relationships they've been in, and they're very functional and very supportive. So on the whole, yes, there can be the issue with power dynamics, and, you know, he's really a sleazeball who couldn't get anybody their own age, but exception, not the rule. Yeah, I don't think we ever really get, like, an explicit, like, she's 30, he's 50, or something like that. But that's what out. it looks like. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's about what both the characters look like. He definitely looks like he's in, like, in his late 40s, early 50s, and she's definitely late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. No, I like that. I think it's a good, like, it's a warmer interaction between them. And it's it's nice. It's like, okay, so Div's great with her, but with Patience, he's awful. Yeah, and you get a little bit at the end. My knife-wielding psychotic must be up from his nap. Like, dude, get out of this job. Yeah, that's, yeah. We've talked about it a lot at this point, but just he has no business being a doctor of any kind, much less in mental health. So the countdown to his break continues. But for a moment, at least, he appear at least appears human. And then going on from there, we revisit Mr. Gasner, uh, who is now not putting out any fluids, so no urine, no anything like that. Um, and he just, I th- his makeup gets paler and paler throughout the entire Ooh, episode. Uh, and The makeup makeup person earned their money for this episode because, man, they make him look like shit. Yeah. And this next audio clip is a bit long. Like, the, actually, the next two ones we have are both featuring Mr. Gasner, but and they're a bit long. And there's some little bit of long pauses. But then again, that's because Mr. Gasner is really weak, really frail. And is he's just doing his best. So let's hear this first one. Your wife's on her way. She'll be a wreck. He's not putting out fluids. One sixty of Lasix. Hey Doc. Do I look stupid? Why don't you tell me? You versus God. We know who wins. I don't think of it that way. Yeah. You don't have to. I'm the one on the table. We looked at your echo. And if we don't find a donor heart, you probably won't make it through the night, Mr. Gasner. Two in the morning. I'm dying. Just please. Call me Sam. There's no time to be formal. Excuse me while Ugh. I just start ugly crying. Ugh, God. Ugh, just... just right in the fucking feels. That's why I said before, like, I just love this guy. He's so good. And he's got just such a good everyman vibe. Like, you could easily picture it being, like, your uncle in that situation. Because of his makeup and because of his his condition, like, he's labored breathing and everything. Like, he's another one. Like you said, he's an average-looking guy, but he's hard to pin down age-wise. Like, he, he seems like he could be anywhere between, like, 30 and 50. Like, he's he kind of runs the whole spectrum. 
he could be so many different people in your life. He could be your dad. He could be your uncle. He could, but he could also be like a brother or a cousin. Like he just kind of like runs this spectrum. And a lot of that again is because of the, the good job they do with his makeup and everything, but he's just such a good actor. And I just have to say this next 20 minutes of this episode punched me so hard in my soul because we were watching it and I realized about halfway through that the night we were watching it was one month since my dad's passing. And to have this be the episode that fell on that was just rough. Like, mm. the actor who plays Mr. Gasner just nails it so well that I was, a- I was able to actually feel that catharsis that I, have- that I had not been able to feel for a month. I had cried about my dad once in the past month, maybe twice, and to actually be able to have that, not goodbye, but to be able to sit through it and have those feelings in a way that I hadn't allowed myself or been able to process because I was not there when he passed, it was what I needed. And that's what, that's what art and that's what good TV and media can really do for you. That's beautiful. Little cheesy. I'm sorry, guys, but... No, no, totally, not at all. Yeah, it's totally totally awesome. Wow. Hate to have to follow that up. Um. Yeah, this is payback for your intro. Rude. Of the intro episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so then we, then we have another hard pivot in this episode. Go back to find out that the car thief Suarez is mm-hmm. her name. That was her last yeah. name, yep. We go back to find that uh, the car thief Suarez has uh, unfortunately died in recovery. So Benton covering his ass for good reason. Uh, sure, her aorta blew out. So, but again, like yeah. before, no one cares. The cop asks, "Hey, is she ready for me to take her?" And Benton's like, "Oh no, she she died in recovery, aortic rupture." And then they just go on about their time. And then right along from there, we have Carter and Susan take on a young person, a young man, Mr. Quinn. Yeah. Frat guy, college student, I'm assuming. Yep. We also get a first appearance of a long-running minor character here. Like, really long-running. Oh? We do. Uh, The EMT. Oh. Yeah. So her character, uh, which I don't know that her character is ever, if she is mentioned by name, it's very rarely. Like, it's she's usually just one of these people you see a lot, but there's never a ton of, like, backstory into her character. But her character's name is Doris Pickman, and the actress's name is Emily Wagner. And she is in 168 episodes. As soon as you said her name, I knew exactly who you were talking about. Yep, she's in it all the way till the very bitter end. Like, she is there until season 15. So she's probably, I would have to, I mean, I haven't done the homework on this, but I would have to guess she's one of the more prolific actors or actresses on the show in terms of appearances. Like, she's probably up there with you know, Hale and Carter for like most appearances in the series. So this young man uh, looks like he has some good old fashioned alcohol poisoning going on. His name is Mr. Quinn. And we find out he's been drinking all night. They they call for Narcan, which I caught. And I thought I was more familiar with that being used for like heroin overdose. I didn't know they used it for alcohol poisoning. Yeah, I'll have to double check with my wife about that because that seems yeah i'm familiar with it only for like opioid overdose right so. and he's turning cyanotic which means his tissues are not getting enough oxygen so they take on a bluish tint which can happen for a multitude of reasons and it but, can look really really creepy when it does yeah but yeah again shout out to the makeup department that yep. looks appropriately 
weird and creepy. And yeah, I've never really seen this in person. But Lauren, during the episode, mentioned that she said that it looks relatively accurate. Yeah, and um, when I when I had one of my last grand mal seizures, my mom saw it and she explained that I had gone cyanotic around my lips and my eyelids because my breathing was a little halted from the convulsions. And that's how I learned that that's how that can happen. And this is also starting the trope, or not the trope, but the it's the first instance we see of like them actually going through and explaining and performing an intubation. And mm-hmm. that's something that I feel like in the later seasons, like I'm thinking starting really, really strongly starting around like Kovach era, that that was something that came up like every single episode. Like they were tubing somebody and they were either like vocally walking through it just themselves or they were teaching somebody how to do it and they were like you know visualize the cords you know do the or they would be like there's too much blood i can't see the cords like they're just like the intubation trope i feel like was one that came up really really frequently after a certain point and this is just the first time they trotted out yeah i guess now that you mentioned that i've never really thought about it before but yeah it does come up a shit ton when they started doing it i was like okay now we're watching er they're doing an intubation yeah and that's one of the things as we're now we're in episode five but as we've been going along and getting into more rhythms of storytelling and character interactions and tones and it's starting to really feel like er as we know and love it right actually speaking speaking of that small side note that i forgot to mention that i wanted to mention earlier but i completely forgot i really am noticing more and more just the back sort of like the background chaos of these episodes and one of the things that i really appreciate even going through all the way to season 15 is just how much they nail like the lived-in feel of this hospital like even though it's just a set it feels very much like you could go to this hospital and it would be oh of course it's like this yeah there's always something going on and i noticed like it might have been this episode or the last one but there was one like extra patient just in the background not one of our main ones not one that we're being that is even being talked about at all but it's the kind of work by the extras that makes you go huh i kind of wouldn't mind if we panned over and watched what they were doing like they're acting like real people and like just milling about their lives so yeah shout out to the sound editors of the show and the i'm sure dozens upon dozens of hundreds of extras that were used throughout the 90s and through the through the aughts on this so just a little thing and then we have a quick flash over. Doug is walking over to the elevator. He wants to go up and check on the little baby. And Mr. Niemeyer shows up. And he's like, hey, I'm looking. Are you Dr. Ross? And he's like, uh, yeah. And Mr. Niemeyer's like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Like, just thank you. You you, you helped my son. And Doug's like, what are you talking about? Like, he just looks super taken aback. And Mr. Niemeyer is all up in his personal space, like Doug does to Carol. And just hugging him and, like, shaking his hand. And is like, you helped my wife deliver her baby and got her up to OB. And Doug was like, oh, yeah, I'm headed up there right now. You want to come with me? And Mr. Niemeyer is like, boy, howdy, that'd be swell. Jumps in the elevator with him, has his arm around Doug's shoulder and Doug is just not having this invasion of his personal space. Doug has a new best friend. Doug has a new best friend. <laughs> he's, he's definitely uncomfortable with it, but at the same time, too, I feel like, again, you, th- you get that little flash of the Clooney smile and a little bit of the laugh in there, too. Like, I do feel like there's a certain narcissistic part of Doug that is 
loving that. Like he's loving the adulation and loving getting the like, you know, the kudos for saving the kid or whatever, even, you know, but he's definitely like the guy's overstepping the personal space boundaries for sure. Like that's, I feel like we all would be uncomfortable in that same situation. Oh yeah. Um, and then we go back to the bracket. Oh. It's at all. I was just going to say, um, we go out to, I think it's, who was working on Mr. Quinn? Was it Susan? Yeah, Susan and Carter. Well, Carter was watching the innovation. Yeah. Susan was actually working okay, on so it. Okay, so Susan goes out to the waiting room where Mr. Quinn's friends are, and it's like, hey, what were you drinking? Or like, what were, what were you guys doing? And the friend's like, beer. Beer and shots of tequila. And she was like, okay, well, you know, like, how much did he have to drink? And then he was like, oh, only 15 to 20 shots. 15 to 20 shots. We were playing Whale's Tales. I didn't even have a sip of alcohol when we were watching this episode. And I was still like, I'm going to be sick just from hearing that. Nowadays, (sighs) I'm lucky if I can have three drinks. Not even shots, three drinks. Yeah, getting old sucks. And And I just have to say, they're playing Whale's Tales. I've never played that. But boy, howdy, I prefer Circle of Truth. That was a good time with my friends. I think it's Circle of Death. Circle of Death? Yeah. Maybe I was just trying to make it less morbid. Yeah. No, it's Circle of Death. It's Circle of Death. That was a fun one. Yeah. We don't condone excess drinking on this show. Oh, no, no, no. Um, But then it's like, you know, they're like, oh, but we weren't doing any drugs. And at least his friends came to check on him. Like, they didn't have to come to the hospital, but at least they came to check on him. I guess. I guess. If they were going to have him nearly die, at least they're going to come and hang out. If he doesn't survive his college drinking game, how will he ever be nominated to the U.S. Supreme Court? Oh! He forgot to write, he forgot to write in his calendar that he, was, that he was only having beer that night. I just want to make a side note here. The costuming, such 90s outfits from these presumably teenagers. I'm guessing they're not actually old enough to drink. Yeah, so then we meet Mrs. Gasner, who has flown in from Cleveland with their lovely little daughter, Sarah. And oh goodness, the straight bangs that she is rocking. I was going to say, the poor unfortunate mess that is the haircut on Miss Gasner. She is, uh, oh boy. We are very much in 1994 here, folks. That blazer, too. Yeah. And then we have our final audio interaction here, which just absolutely fucking breaks my heart. Prepare to have your hearts ripped out, listeners. Yeah. Um, Mr. Gasner is really, really coming to face the fact that he's probably going to die tonight. And just him talking with Mark, and it just it fucking kills me. And here you go. Sam. Mark. Your wife and daughter are here. I was thinking... You're the one about the guy in the country road. That tire doesn't have a jack. you don't make <laughs> the real joke is I'm still gonna die 
I guess I'm getting ready for it. I'm not ready. Damn it, I'm not. I don't want to leave them. Sarah needs me. And hold on a minute, Daniel. No, okay. Fine. Okay. I did. Lauren just looked like she was about to start crying. I'm good. You sure? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll hug the dad coat afterwards and cry if I need to. I'm good. Okay. But oof. God, he's good. Just it. I feel like in the hands of a lesser actor, this would that could have that end part could have come off really cheesy. It could have been real hammy. Imagine if we'd have gotten instead of him. Imagine if we'd have gotten the guy from the pilot. The oh. one that was like beating on Green's chest, like you bastard! You blah, blah, blah. like imagine him all paled up and dying in the bed. Like, ugh. Here's a fun mental exercise to lighten the mood. Imagine Nick Cage. Ah. <laughs> uh, or if we're gonna go like that, why don't we just go with Owen Wilson then? How about just wow? I'm gonna die. <laughs> but but the thing is. Is it's that was beautiful, but it's within Nick Cage's purview to do something like this, but then totally just left field it. That's wow. the thing. Owen Wilson does not do that. He doesn't take this kind of dramatic role. <laughs> and I just want to say here, the actress who play, who plays Halle, she is just whole time playing with his hair, holding his hand, just being a comforting presence for him and listening to him. And it's just it's so good to see. Yeah, it doesn't have to say a word. No, she's just there, and it just warms my heart. Big mom nurse energy. Yes. And then after this happens, Mark walks out and is just covering his face, like, just so distraught by this, watching this wonderful, loving man passing before his eyes. And he walks past Carol, and Carol just says, don't say it, that I should be grateful to be alive. Mark's like, I wasn't going to. Just, ugh. I feel like that's completely unnecessary interaction. Yeah, it feels really out of place, and it doesn't... I mean, Carol hasn't had anything to do with this patient the whole episode, so it seems odd that she would be standing there in the first place. And then, yeah, it just feels like they were maybe trying to subvert a little bit the whole, like, Green says something profound in situations like these thing that they've been doing every so often to this point. But I don't know, this, this feels really odd. It shouldn't be there, I don't think. I kind of agree with you there, Daniel, but at the same time, I think, like, you know, hey, it might have been a busy night. She may have just been stopping by to help out with something and have overheard this and just with what she's had going on and everything, it's kind of like, you know, I could understand where she's coming from, that whole, like, hey, Mark, I know you're going through this right now, watching this happen, but I don't want you to dump these platitudes on me. Like, she, I'm sure she's been hearing it a lot being back at the hospital and watching all these tragedies unfold. And I think this was just one that like, she just couldn't hear another one. Sure. That's me projecting a little bit, but like, that's what I'm guessing is kind of in her mindset is like, you're in this hospital, you see this shit happen day after day. And if you've got a quote unquote second chance at life, you probably get real sick of hearing it. I mean, obviously something as serious as a suicide attempt is never, it's never something that is fully finished. It's never something that's fully put away in terms of like getting over it. But in terms of storyline purposes, I do sort of feel like they've kind of more or less closed the book on that by this point. Like they've kind of tied that little story up in a bow and they're, 
she's had her big moment where she's put Doug in his place and it kind of felt like we were done with that and we were moving on to other things. And this feels like kind of a weird half step back into it. And it just, I don't know. I, I guess they were trying to further that sort of melancholy within green. And so, mm-hmm. whereas his role to this point has been the guy who always knows what to say and always has the profound thought in the moment of need here, he's just flustered and shell shocked and he kind of just doesn't know what to say and, and just kind of, walks off and so I mean I get what they were going for with it but to me it just felt odd it could have also been kind of a comet tale to the story where yes the bulk of it is wrapped up but they're just kind of tailing it off so they're not just saying okay we wrapped it up it's abruptly done they might have been trying to like baby step out of it too but from there we go into Mark and Susan talking I believe they're in the break room or maybe at the nurse's station but they're having a quick chit chat and Mark's like, oh, I could be a junior resident at a suburban hospital. And Susan's just like, oh, that'll do wonders for your career. And Mark just kind of goes, it all counts. Is this also where he is like, he kind of subtly, not subtly, but like the line's not given very much shine because he's in the middle of saying it as they cut to this scene of them. He says the only reason we got married, I think sometimes the only reason we got married is because we were trying to please our parents or something like yes. that. Like he's sort of like, it seems like an oddly meaningful line to sort of just brush past like that, like to say it in passing, but it's just more and more kind of affirming that like their relationship is fundamentally in trouble. Like this is not just like, you know, a minor disagreement and that they'll figure it out eventually. Like this is like, they've got major, major problems here. Right. And I just think it's kind of nice because in this moment we see that Mark's trying to really learn from what's going on with Mr. Gasner. And he's just like, it all counts. I've got to make this compromise. I've got to step up. Yeah. And then you have a little beat there where Jerry's getting a hotel for Mrs. Gasner and the daughter. Sarah, I think. Yeah. But really, you just cut to Mark again. He just looks fucking terrible. Like, you can tell he's been on since yesterday. And he was supposed to go home at midnight. You know, it's sort of in his character to be the hero and stay forever at a second home and then after that lydia pulls uh doug in from the break room because uh, our asthma patient is back and the young lady is having an asthma attack again and the mother said doug's kind of chewing out the mom for not getting the medication but you know the mom says that medication is 30 dollars and she can't afford it and you know her new medicaid insurance doesn't kick in for another week so that's why she was like so nervous and everything about about all this stuff. She's like, she's probably like freaking out on the inside, like, oh my god, how much is this gonna cost? How much is this gonna do for everything? And you know, Doug's like, you have to go to the clinic tomorrow morning. So here he's he's like, okay, you can't afford it. What can I do for you right now? And he starts going and looking for a spare inhaler and prednisone for this little girl. And as he's digging for it and asking Carol, like, hey, do we have any spare prednisone? Do we have any spare inhalers? Carol's like, oh, you seem awfully interested. She must be very pretty. And Doug just goes, she's 12. Doug finally gets, he scores one point. Like, he finally. One point. He gets one clap back. Because to be fair, he's taking a lot of lumps. So got to give him the pity point. Doug's not bad in this episode. No, no, no. No, this 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 is good. This, let's have an episode where we go, good job, Doug. Yeah. You're not a shitbag in this episode. Yeah, Doug Doug is very much the B-plot in this episode. We see him be a really good guy in this episode. 
he shifts gears very hard in this interaction. Like he comes in in full Doug, like both barrels blazing. Like he comes in ready to rip this mom a new asshole because she's back, you know, after he just told her what the treatment was, not even, you know, a couple hours ago. So he comes in with the same sort of like fire and anger that he had with the lady from a few episodes back with all the fractures, like the the abuse case. Like he comes in right. with the, the same sort of like he's full of piss and vinegar. Like he's just ready to fucking go. And like, she just in hurt to that actress's credit. Like she just throws it right back at him. Like, she's like, what do you want me to do about it? Like, I don't have the money. I can't take off work. I can't do the whole thing. Like she just gives it right back to him. And to his credit, he kind of internalizes that and immediately sets about trying to find a way to circumvent the problem and, and make, do what's best for the child. And I think both of them just play really well off each other. Yes, definitely. And then after that, we go to Jerry and Carter have a a beat that really fucking bugged me. Yeah. Huge HIPAA violation. Yeah. Does HIPAA even exist yet at this point? But I mean, it's still fucked up, but like, because I, I asked I the same no thing. I have no idea. I imagine it does. It, it, I'm sure it has to have been implemented at this point. I'm going to look at 1996. Oh, wow. So it didn't exist yet. So technically Jerry's nope. in the clear here, but he's still an asshole. Like, dick move, Jerry. Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act of 1996 was HIPAA. So, technically, Jerry's just an asshole. Wow. But yeah, so Jerry posts his results on the whiteboard. Yeah, and it shows Carter has an STI. Yep. And... Everyone's laughing at him. Yeah. Like, ugh, that's just... I know this is woke 2019, me coming out, but this just... Everything about that just seems so just seems so skeevy like i'm gonna make i'm gonna publicize you know or the stis are you know something to be made fun of and ha 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 carter the little med student is infected with something and everyone needs to know that and the entire yeah er is just sort of pointing and laughing at him it's an act of maliciousness on jerry's part that i don't think is in his character like i don't think it fits his character like jerry is a goof like he's a but he's a lovable goof like he's you know he's he's an earnest goof he's always trying his best and sometimes he fucks up but like he's never mean and he's never malicious and so like this just seems like a weirdly malicious thing to do and like you said it could be us kind of backseat driving 25 years after the fact but it it just doesn't feel right for his character no, and then to rub salt in the proverbial wound, Liz is back at the front desk. <sighs> she's being helped. She's being helped by Kason. Being helped? Do you mean by being eye fucked by Kason? Yeah, ugh, his look which, there is so gross. And it's like, what's Kason even doing helping in the ER? Yeah, which Kason is already like looking like an old, older man at this point. Like, holy, and just that look on his face to like when pure, he's like, like just sexual like. I want to fuck this thing type of energy that he's giving off. It's just, it's gross. The whole fucking thing is just weird. And I'm hoping this is the last we see of her character. Cause yeah. I'm so ready to be done with her. She just, she waves and goes, hi, John. And then goes back with Kaysen. Like she's there for that whole interaction with the bulletin board and Carter ripping it down. And she just doesn't even talk to him about it. Just hi, John. And then walks away. I, I just I I need this to be the last one. Like I need her Same. to I need her to go away. And here's hoping. So <laughs> And then after that we go right back to the fields of Mr. Gasner. He's holding his daughter in in the trauma room. And the music choices are getting a lot better 
during these more tender moments, we noticed. The farther and farther we go into this series, even though we're only five episodes in, it's one of those things, like I mentioned before, the show is really starting to feel like ER. Like, they're really starting to get their musical cues and their musical choices down to really where it fits the tone of what's going on on screen, like, to a T. Yep, and then after Sam holds his daughter and is talking to her about her grandma and everything, Sarah walks over to Mark and is just like, why can't you make him better? Is my dad going to die? And Mar- and Mark's just like, we can't fix everything. Which also applies to my life and my marriage and everything else. <laughs> Foreshadowing. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Sure. Why not? And then it pops after that, after that little punch in the gut, it pops back over to Doug and the asthma kid and the mom and Doug is just so not realizing the the problems that come with living paycheck to paycheck and not being able to miss work to do critical things like sit in a clinic all morning or pick up medications or like especially when you're starting a new newer like lower paying job those tend to be the worst with absences right away yeah because we find out from the mom because Doug comes back here this is enough to you know get you through the next couple of days but you need to go to the clinic tomorrow and you need to pick up the rest of the medication like the clinic will be able to give it to you and the mom's like i can't i just started a new job last week i can't miss work like i can't miss work or i won't have a job and doug's just like well you need to she's just like well i can't what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable <laughs> object capitalism oh And then you really get the full feeling of just her whole storyline being a commentary on the state of health insurance and just the general nature of poverty and capitalism. And And then we get to the most heartbreaking moment of, oh, pun intended, the most heartbreaking episode of this. Fuck. The most heartbreaking moment of this entire episode. Mr. Gasner looks awful he's sweaty he's pale he can hardly breathe he's holding his wife's hand and they're talking and he just says you've never let me down and then he starts to go into a rest he just says forever honey forever sarah will be fine remind her i love her and he's saying all of this through gasping breaths while they're trying to do compressions to keep him going and then they put the oxygen mask on him and he can't speak anymore yeah, two things about that. Number one, if he's talking, they should 100% not be doing compressions on him. Yeah, I thought that would seem Am really I right? Weird. They, they, they're doing compressions, right? Yeah, they're definitely doing No, yeah, they, they're do definitely doing compressions because I, I made a point of marking it down in my notes. Like, if, if you're talking, if you're conscious, they're not going to be doing CPR. Like, they're not going to be compre- doing chest compressions while you're clearly conscious and, and talking. Right, because even though the machine is showing he's going into failure, which that's the other thing, like yeah, if he's talking and and conversing and doing whatever, he would also not be flatlining like he is on the monitor. So it's they're playing a little bit fast and loose there with the the medical term or not terminology, but the accuracy of the medicine there. They're they're definitely playing that up for dramatic effect, which they don't do very often. That's that's why it's kind of so glaring when they do. Is like you're better than this. Like you don't have to do this to get the I think that would have had the same sort of effect emotionally without them beating on his chest and and the blaring sound in the background. Like, I don't think it needed it. I think it would have stood alone on its own. But I don't know. It's just they're still trying to find themselves. But yeah, it's beautifully done. And this guy, again, like we've mentioned several times, he nails it. 
and the wife heartbreakingly says, wait, wait, wake him back up. I have more I have to say to him. Yeah. And just... <laughs> that's that's where I really lost it. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's rough. So that's about the end of his storyline, unfortunately. Excellent guest work. I think he's probably... Oh, it's between him and Madame X now for favorite guest. Oh, Madame X is still my yeah, favorite. Yeah, she's, she's clearly number one, but he's a solid number two. I, I'll definitely All right. give him full credit. So we've got Madame X and Gazner so far for our top two. Yeah. All right. We will fill that out as we go along. But then we revisit Susan's frat boy, Mr. Quinn patient. Uh, he's on dialysis and he's awake, but he's still intubated. So Susan just sort of... Gives him uh, stern talking to. Yeah. Whipping the ass. Big mom energy right here. Yeah. She is in full mom. Yeah. She says your your kidneys are functioning. Your liver is fine. You lost a few million brain cells, but that's fine because you can clearly spare them. Blink if you will never do this again. And just, oh, I would not want to be her kid and fuck up. Because, yeah, that's I think I think you hit the nail on the head. It's big mom energy. That's a very good way to put it. Yeah, and then I think we get, after this, we get... Yes! Yeah, we get our first uh, basketball game. The first appearance of the basketball hoop. Yeah, which sort of shifts its placement from here and there. Like, I know for the first couple seasons, it tends to be kind of tucked away. In that alley. Yeah, and then it moves to the... um, Eventually moves to, like, being either an on-the-wall hoop or a portable hoop in the ambulance ambulance bay. bay. Safe! Yeah, yeah, which is totally fine. This is like the most weirdly official looking hoop. Like it's, they have like the chalk outline on the ground, like the paint on the ground with like all yeah. the, the free throw line and stuff. Like I was like, were they really like when they were building this hospital in Canon, were they really like, okay, this is where we're going to put the basketball hoop. Cause it's like regulation width and like perfectly like laid out. And it's just, I mean, I don't know if it's exactly regulation width, but it's, but I mean, it's like, it's clearly not just somebody threw up a hoop in their driveway. Like it is later on. Like this is, yeah. But I mean, you'd have to think if the hospital is going to go through the expense of putting up the hoop, well, you know, why not just have some paint and, you know, make it look a little nicer to people passing by. Yeah. True. Yeah. And it's Doug versus Mark. What a couple of kids. And Mark is a sweaty boy in this one. Yep. All over. And Doug, when Doug takes off his like coat or whatever, like he's already got a nice big sweat ring on the back of his shirt. So I wonder how many takes they did on this because I feel like it wasn't just one because uh, Doug's already got like a, a nice glisten to him before he takes off the coat and starts playing. Yeah. But Doug uh, is trying to get is trying to get forty bucks to go get the medication for the asthmatic girl, and it's just just like go home, Mark. Like, because clearly Mark's been through the ringer in this episode. Like, I think this is I think I would give this as Anthony Edwards' best performance. Yeah. Today, it's been the most it's been the most dynamic so far. He's definitely gone through a lot of different emotional beats throughout the episode, and I think he he carries it really well. Yeah. Yeah. So Mark is kind enough to just have a wad of cash on him. Well, back in the day, you wouldn't really have your debit card that often. Like, you would be carrying cash. Yeah, but you think you would stick stuff like that, like, maybe in your locker or something like that? Or, I don't know. Maybe just, he had taken it out to go, like, grab a snack or something. I don't know. It just seems like a, it just seems like a lot of cash to be carrying around just in your scrubs. Like, if someone, like if you happen to get a foreign fluid on you. And, I don't know. Again nitpicking this is what we do here at setting the tone in the art retrospective but after doug gets the money 
goes down to a building. We looked up. The building itself is actually in Englewood. It's called the Yale. Yeah, the Yale, which I think we believe we looked it up. It was a formerly a higher end hotel. Yeah, it was a higher. It was built as higher end residencies for the Chicago Exposition. Interesting. And then over the years, you know, as the neighborhoods expanded and everything, as it became a less affluent part of town, it got allocated for more neighborhood use and. Yeah. Yeah, and Englewood is one of the more rough neighborhoods in the city. Um, it's one of the more nor- more notorious for being potentially dangerous if you're not watching what you're doing. Yeah, it's one of the more bigger hubs of gang violence in the city too. But that's neither here nor there. So Doug goes all the way down to Englewood to drop off this medication to this little girl. You pull up, and it's you know not the nicest apartment building in the world. But he goes up to the woman's apartment and it just... But he hands off this medication to her and she's just like, wait, what? Like, she's just sort of dumbfounded that someone would actually go help. through that effort and help her. That this well-dressed doctor would get medication and come all the way to Englewood, which is A, quite a trek, and B, like we mentioned, not the most popular of neighborhoods just to assist. So Doug, Doug's not completely trash, is the moral of the story. Yeah, he gets, a, he gets a clap back at Carol. He gets this nice little moment at the end showing that he actually does care about his job and he actually does care about his patients. Right. And the mother says, you bought this yourself. I'll get her to the clinic, I promise. Yeah, so nice, hopefully good resolution to this, to this little B-plot. And then the final scene of the episode is Mark finally going home at 7.30 in the morning. And in that same dorky outfit from before. His khakis. Yeah, his belt. I'm assuming beltless khakis. Still can't. No, he, no, still ain't got no damn belt. <laughs> I won't let you get in the weeds on that this time around. He yeah. crawls into bed with Jen. Yeah, Mark crawls into bed with his wife. And it's just sort of very picturesque. The lights coming in gently in the, from the curtains in the background and... Jen's all very sleepy and cozy. Yeah, and Rachel comes into the room and holy shit, that nightgown is just so 90s, little kid. And Mark also, as he's sliding into bed, he just whispers to Jen and says, if you want me to go, I'll go. He's seen what's important after the night he's had. I think he has seen what's important or what should be important. I don't know that I 100% buy that he really believes it though like that this is what he's supposed to do i think that he thinks this is what he should do and this is what he should be feeling but i think it's gonna eventually come out or i think it's eventually gonna become clear to him that you know he's fooling himself a little bit fair yeah i mean we and we know ultimately he doesn't right go end up going to milwaukee well that's part of what jen says is she says oh it's only two hours away so like she's saying they'll find a way to make it work and then they have Rachel come crawl into bed with them and snuggle, and Mark just says, I am so glad to see you. And they're just, they're all snuggling, and this was the moment I was talking about earlier in the episode, that this shot with him holding Rachel, and that zoom in on his face, when he was like, everything's okay. Yeah. Or nothing's wrong. Which he says in an, un- an uncomfortable amount of times. Like, he says right. that, he, it's almost like one of those deals of like, who are you trying to convince? Are you trying to convince right. her or yourself? Like... Because he says it over and over and over again. That moment was definitely one of the ones where I was like, oh, that's haunting considering we know what happens. Yeah. But that's how it ends is is Mark in bed with his wife and his lovely little daughter and just 
after having the most hellacious day ever, just taking a moment to be glad to be home, we think. Yeah, and it kind of strikes a little chord for me just as you think about Mark's overall storyline. Like, he doesn't really get this for a while after this. Like, he doesn't really necessarily get the picturesque morning with the woman he loves and his daughter. And, you know, the next time you really see him in a situation sort of like this where everything's kind of okay at least seems okay like it's not until he really he gets with elizabeth down the line so that's just the thought that i had when i saw this yeah so it was like i just wanted to be season season seven and you to be all curled up with with you and your new baby but yeah i definitely think this was so far the second strongest episode we've had i think episode three still takes the cake right now but I think this this one, we're definitely making more positive strides to strong episodes and good heavy hitters for most of the time. For myself, I think I would slot this one in just behind the pilot. Like, I think for me, it's the certainly these three, like this one right. and this one, the last one. And the pilot, I think, are in a class unto themselves, you know. But the second episode is like a distant, distant last at this point. <laughs> and four is fine. Four is yeah. Right. I forgot about four. Yeah, four is four is kind of that middle. It's kind of the the like palate cleanser. Like it's it's fine. Right. It's in there. It's kind of par for the course for the sort of filler episodes we'll run into. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that about wraps up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening. You can find us on Twitter with the username at SetTheToneER. We're also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash SettingTheTonePodcast. And we are at SettingTheTonePodcast on Instagram. You can also support us on Patreon at Patreon.com slash SettingTheTonePodcast. You can help your fellow patrons unlock bonus shows, including a season recap episode that we'll do probably about twice a year with how the seasons space out. And you can also help them unlock a a monthly bonus show where we just sort of wax poetic about whatever's going on in our lives. Our theme music was provided to us by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? Uh, They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that's Y-O-U dot E-L. And they can also find me on my other podcast, The the Popular Court, that I host with my co-host Jake Terrell. Uh, We do a different pop culture topic each week and put it through a mock trial. Um, One of our, let's see, where where are we in our release schedule right now? One of our more recent episodes by the time this drops um, will be one, like I mentioned a little bit earlier in this episode, on uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. I'm so excited. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me on my personal Twitter at Lobob, L-O-B-O-B, 92345. Uh, and you can find me on my personal Twitter. Uh, I am at Random Gamer. That's J-A-M-3-R. And thank you again very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And we will see you again next week for episode number six. 